Now, more tips with your host, Rebecca, on lifestyle improvement. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Thank you so much for joining us today on Lifestyle Improvement for part three of our interview with Lisa Green. Lisa Green is an adjunct professor in the Department of Child and Family Education at Concordia University, an author, parent coach, international speaker, and the mother of two children with special health care needs. As a parent educator, public speaker, and independent love and logic facilitator, Miss Green teaches essential parenting skills to thousands of parents each year. She has also written articles for Parent Guide, DisneyFamily.com, and Living Well magazine, as well as numerous online journals. Miss Green also co-authored the award-winning Love and Logic book, Parenting Children with Health Issues, Essential Tools, Tips, and Tactics for Raising Kids with Chronic Illnesses, Medical Conditions, and Special Healthcare Needs. You can find this book at ParentingChildrenWithHealthIssues.com. And here is our guest for today, Lisa Green, and our host, Rebecca Rogers. We really talk about in our book the difference between empathy and sympathy. So sympathy says, I feel so sorry for you that I'm going to fix everything and try to make it better. Empathy says, oh, honey, that was really hard. This is really hard. How can I walk beside you and empower you to cope? That's a big difference. And as parents, in our fear and heartache um, and, and you know anxiety, we easily move into sympathy and try to fix it all and do too much. And then we actually, we actually handicap our children. Dr. Tracy Trotter um, wrote uh, a little bit of the foreword in our book. And he said, don't handicap a handicapped child. Don't disable, and you know, he's kind of using older words, don't disable someone who's already disabled. And he's a pediatrician, and he saw that over and over and over in his practice where parents um, have a child with some kind of um, hand, you know, disability, medical condition, developmental delay, and we overcompensate for the child, and we actually emotionally handicap our kid. So it's critical that as parents we have, and I like to say, high but reasonable expectations of our kids. So just because my kids have a medical condition doesn't mean that they can't tie their own shoes, do their own homework, and um, and have the same expectations as all of their peers. Now, certainly if their medical condition is causing them to have developmental delays and they're not able to keep up, I mean, every situation is different. So, so you know, you have to take what I'm saying with a grain of salt and, and you know your kid best. You do know your kid best. The challenge is we do know our children best, but it's hard for us to see the reality through the trees. And so, you know, it's so difficult for me as a parent to actually have a clear perspective on what my kids' abilities are. And we talk about this in our book and in our workshops that, you know, if our child performs better 
for their teachers and their grandparents and the neighbors. And they're able to tie their shoes with the neighbors and the teachers and everybody else. But then with us, with me as mom, I'm like, here you go, put your shoes on and they can't. That should be a big red flag to me (laughs) that I am doing something wrong as a mom Mm. and I am overcompensating, overprotecting and not holding my child accountable to their developmental ability. We have to be careful of that. So would you say that empowering children or empowering the people you care for through self-sufficiency is one of those strategies that you would recommend parents to do? Absolutely. You know, and and certainly, you know, we have to be aware of how we do that over a lifetime of a child, right? But here's the thing, you know, We have 18 short years, I mean, basically, right? I mean, more than that, because we have what we call extended, um, you know, this this period of extended adolescence where our kids are in that sort of middle ground now where they're in college and not quite yet, or emerging, emerging adulthood, that's what they call it, emerging adulthood. We have a new, uh, a new category now of, uh, of, of, of development, of life development, emerging adulthood. And, and it's true and it's fine and, and all that is good. But what we have to remember as, as a parent, um, especially if we are anticipating, as I am with cystic fibrosis, it's not a developmental uh, condition. My kids are fully functioning cognitively and emotionally, and they're they're in fact, you know, performing extremely well. I'm very proud of. Uh, the job that they do of taking care of themselves and they're moving into college. And my son is a straight A student, as is my daughter, on and on. So the point is, my children are going to be well prepared and well capable for the adult world and to go to college. Um, And certainly they're going to need my support because cystic fibrosis is a really intensive disease. And it's not just about kicking them out of the nest and saying fly without my support. The challenge is I'm not going to be there in their dorm room you know, 24 seven saying, did you take your pills? Did you do your breathing treatments? Are you getting enough to eat? Did you wash your hands? You know, get to your doctor's appointment when you're supposed to. I mean, I'm not going to be there to do that. And so self-sufficiency is critical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have to always keep that in sight as a parent. And, and I like to say, I mean, we're talking about transition readiness here, which is a whole other area. Again, I mean, I could talk for an hour just on transition readiness, which is a real challenge. Medical adherence and transition readiness are two areas that I really specialize in. And they're tied, it's all tied together. And you can't talk about one without the other, really. And it's all tied into parenting. And it's all tied into this idea of, um, you know, setting a good example and allowing our kids to experience, you know, cause and effect throughout the lifetime, teaching our kids about their illness and the consequences of poor decisions. Um, but the idea being of self-sufficiency that, you know, we we really, in a, in a stepwise, developmentally appropriate fashion, need to help our children become empowered and self-sufficient and to be able to do all these things on their own without us. Now, does that mean that they have to do, they have to do everything on their own without us 24/7 when they're a junior in high school and they have a heavy load and they're also maybe working part-time or you know trying to get ready for college? 
No, I mean, you know, we we're there to be a support for our children, just like my husband supports me or did support me. I supported him. We're collaborative. We're families. We're families for a reason. We need each other. We're not an island. It's not about doing it all by myself. But but we, our children do need to be able to take care of themselves when we're not there to be with them. And a big part of that is taking responsibility and accountability and being held responsible and accountable um, for their, their life choices. And so that's an important piece of this, along with, you know, that empathy, because sympathy, as I've defined it, can rob our children because sympathy and overprotection go hand in hand based on how we feel, fear, anxiety. I mean, see how it all ties together. All ties together, yes. There's all good reasons for our sympathy <laughs> and our overprotection. We have a lot of good reasons why we go there. But again, if we get eaten by the tiger or the bear, all of our good reasons for responding that way matter not. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We still are eaten. So we need to learn you know, we need to learn about these things. And that's what I'm so passionate about is helping educate people, learn about these patterns, learn about these things, you know, as early on as possible, starting today, so that, you know, when the tigers of fear and anxiety jump in your face, you know how to respond. This is your host, Rebecca. And now we will take a short break and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101, for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. You're, you're not an unconscious knee-jerk reaction of run. Then part of that process is trusting. You're trusting that all of this work of communication and building will hopefully come to the result, a positive result, which is that this uh, child of yours has acquired and integrated this information in a positive way, in a useful and practical way, and they'll put it into context and and probably make and hopefully make the right choices, right? And that's so well said, because it is it is about trusting. Um, and it's also about, you know, increasing the odds. Mm -hmm. and, and Dr. Klein talks a lot about that in his workshops, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, we can use all the evidence based tools and techniques we can do everything right, quote unquote, you know, according to the quote unquote experts, right? We can do everything right. 
But, you know, our kids are human beings and they will make mistakes. They will make bad choices. They have free will. They're human beings just like we are, you know, and um, and so certainly we can do everything that we can and we should. That's what this is about. It's about increasing the odds and knowing that we've done the best that we can. Um, and and it is about trust and this journey called life. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about, you know, again, coping with hard times and having our own internal strength um, to deal with those hard times when the people that we love make a bad choice, you know, and we're talking about right here in this talk, you know, caregivers and dealing with chronic illness and, and developmental delays and, you know, special needs, which encompasses so much. I mean, it's such a broad area, but I mean, we can bring it, you know, even much broader than that to, to share, you know, a husband and wife situation where one member of the family is obese and won't take responsibility or is is dying of COPD, COPD and still smokes or a family member who is addicted to drugs or alcohol and will not and is addicted and, and can't and won't stop. I mean, it comes to this hard, hard area of we cannot control what other people do. And so how do we, you know, live in a home with someone who is making self-destructive choices? How do we take care of ourselves as a caregiver and not be codependent, not be a, how do we not be an enabler, right? And as parents, we can be enablers, right? And so, you know, I mean, all of this, all of these things, all the things that we're talking about, Um, again, you know, to bring it back to the big picture, it's about leadership. It's about relationships. It's about human communication, about human relationships. It's about the human condition. It's about, you know, um, we need a book like that right now to be read by everybody out there, (laughs) not just caregivers, because really we, we are caregivers of relationships, we yeah. we truly are. I mean, the same requirements that are there in order to build healthy relationships that are long lasting are very similar to the qualities that a caregiver has to do to be able to survive in a positive way. So these are these are transcendent lessons, actually, Lisa. Yeah. So thank you. However, there are a lot of books out there right now where, you know, they're dealing with those, some of the uh, subjects of caregiving and needs and stress and coping. What, in your opinion, makes your book different or unique, sets it apart from others that are out there right now? Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, first, let me say there are I mean, the the other books, I mean, I'm a believer in you can't get too much information, Uh, you know, and I think education is critical, it's empowering, and it's freeing. Um, However, you know, it's, we're busy, we're stressed out. And one of our biggest problems as a caregiver is a lack of time and energy. So, you know, it's this double-edged sword. Um, And so, you know, I think every book out there that uh, provides support and ideas and education 
is is important and good and valuable in its own way. Um, and what I found is, you know, where we're a little bit different is, you know, a lot of the books, at least certainly in my journey, and as I was focusing even in the beginning of learning how to deal with, wow, I have a diagnosis now, what do I do? Um, so many of the books focused on like, you know, sort of the more logistical issues, sort of those external issues um, about, uh, I call it how to rent a wheelchair type of stuff. And that's important. You know, how to find a good doctor, um, you know, navigating the medical system. Um, all of those sort of logistical details uh, are critical and we need them and we need them right away. And those are probably the most important things to dive into you know, especially newly diagnosis in the moment. In the moment when I'm facing a new diagnosis, I mean, I am flooded with grief and fear. And I mean, just this amazing, just an incredibly overwhelming download of feelings. And in the face of that, I'm also faced with having to make these life and death decisions about, in my case, a newborn, um, in other people's cases, you know, uh, a loved one who's diagnosed with cancer and or, you know, any number, uh, you know, autism or Alzheimer's. I mean, any number of medical conditions that are life shortening, life threatening and devastating. And now all of a sudden, like for me, I had never been. I mean, my experience with the medical system is, oh, you know, I mean, I never even got stitches or broke a bone. It was like, oh, I need a shot. I mean, I need, I need my annual physical. I mean, I need a mammogram. Oh, goody. You know? So, I mean, that was my extent of the, you know, my experience with the medical system. And all of a sudden now I am dealing with, you know, again, all those emotions and devastation of a diagnosis and a life shortening one, nonetheless, of my newborn baby. And now having to learn about an incredibly sophisticated, complex medical condition and lots of medications, lots of care, and like basically becoming a little mini doctor. I mean, really. And not only that, but making life and death decisions about my baby because, you know, the doctors do make decisions, but ultimately those decisions rest on my shoulders. You know, again, they're saying, well, Mrs. Green, you can do this or you could do that. And this is what I suggest. But, you know, we don't really know because research doesn't really say whether you should, you know, try to eradicate pseudomonas right away or not. And we're worried about, you know, antibiotic resistance. And, and now there's more research on that particular issue. But, you know, I'm dealing with a life and death decision, a why in the road, you know, sort of, again, how do I, how do I rent a wheelchair? <laughs> you know, right. you know, that, that kind of information. So a lot of the resources out there deal with that kind of thing. And, you know, learning about a disease, you know, where to find resources, a lot of the things that social workers deal with, you know, how to navigate the system, you know, how to get, um, you know, uh, financial support, how to, how to vote, you know, how to file for disability with social security, you know, how to deal with the school system, how to, you know, so all those really, really important, really, really critical, um, you know, logistical details about dealing with caregiving and chronic illness. What I found 
as I was starting, you know, as I as those logistical details kind of started sorting themselves out. And I used those many resources, including those that share stories about other families dealing with problems, which, you know, I can't say enough about, you know, hearing other people's stories is so important. So a story as I share in uh, my workshops and actually in my my new little book called No More No by Lisa Green, um, available on Amazon, I guess I could say, um, about how to uh, how to uh, gain cooperation with medical, you know, med- food, uh, food, medication and everything else without coercion. Um, the story that I share with Jacob is uh, that he needed to take some medication before he eats his food in order to digest his food. And I would go in with the spoon here, Jacob, take your medication. And, you know, he wouldn't take it. He'd close his mouth. He'd, you know, turn his head. I mean, just wouldn't take it. He was two. That's what two-year-olds do, right? Everyone knows how two-year-olds are. And one day he hit my hand and he splattered the medication all over the place. And so, um, and I'm not proud of this, but I spanked him because that was how I was raised. I was raised that if you have a child who is in direct defiance of your authority, which he was, then you respond in a punitive way. And and so out of my that was my um, lion on the path bear moment, you know, out of my fear, frustration, anger at having this kid hit my hand and splatter medicine everywhere, you know, out of my uh, emotions at the moment, I spanked him. And this triggered in him a temper tantrum that was a real doozy. I mean, he just, you know, he got mad, I got mad, and and he lost it. And he was laying on the floor flailing and, you know, screaming. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so I'm like, what do I do here? And so out of desperation, I picked him up and I put him in the shower. I figured if it works for drunks, maybe it would work for him. And, you know, and it did because it provided distraction and I picked him up and I had to carry him. And, you know, we both recovered from the moment. Um, And and when when we did both calm down, that was when I hit what I like to call my sort of rock bottom gutter moment as a parent where I was like, wow, I mean, here is this two year old strong little guy, which I want him to be. I want him to be a fighter. I want my kid to be a fighter. Right but I just don't want him to fight me. <laughs> so, and so I'm like, well, what do I do? How do I, how do I handle this? And I really <clears throat> was not equipped. And so <clears throat> that was sort of that awakening moment for me that I need help. That was my, wow, I'm not an island. I need help. I can't do this alone. And I went out and I asked a lot of people, what do I do? How do I handle this? And people gave me a lot of interesting ideas, but um, none of them were what I really felt in my intuition and my spirit were right. I mean, people told me things like, well, we'll give him ice cream to bribe him. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that might work this time, but that's not going to work for a lifetime of medication. I mean, you know, giving the kid ice cream every time he needs to eat is or candy is not is not going to solve the problem. And so I, I was really at a loss and even my medical professionals couldn't give me what I felt like was good, solid advice. And so, um, you know, a couple, 
you know, a couple of weeks, maybe a month after I had this experience with Jacob, I stumbled on a, a local class called Love and Logic. And the flyer said, would you like to have more fun parenting? Would you like to have more peace at home? And would you like to cut down on your power struggles? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> so, I'm like, sign me up. And, and I did. I signed up for the class and it was just a general parenting class. And it was the same tools and techniques. Well, what, about 15 years ago now that I learned for just general everyday parenting um, that I learned that was life changing. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101, because care starts with you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Lifestyle Improvement for part three of our interview with Lisa Green. Miss Green co-authored the award-winning Love and Logic book, Parenting Children with Health Issues, Essential Tools, Tips, and Tactics for Raising Kids with Chronic Illnesses, Medical Conditions, and Special Healthcare Needs. You can find this book at parentingchildrenwithhealthissues.com. Don't forget to join your host, Rebecca Rogers, next Sunday morning at 7.30 for part three of our interview with Lisa Green 